With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Pro Plus. It's me again, Guy. I'm sorry. It's a... Yeah, just people don't want to do stuff and I'm here. Got to pump out content, don't we, people? But I am joined by the Vice President of the Alberto Moreno Fan Club, Ollie Emerson. How are you doing? I'm very well, Guy, and I'm I'm honoured to be here with you. I'm happy that you're here. It's been a while. We've not been able to talk Alberto Moreno for a long time and maybe I'm sure we can shoehorn some Moreno content and say no problem. Absolutely. If we're struggling for stuff to talk about, which we won't because the season, you know, all that jazz, we will pick our favourite Albi hairstyle. How about that? There's always room for Moreno, as, as you well know. Absolutely. Absolutely. Apart from in Klopp's heart. Prick. <laughs> uh, apart, apart from in the Liverpool team, there's always room for Moreno. Absolutely. It was a good four month run that one season, but hey ho. We will move on. Of Andy Robertson. Yes. <laughs> Taught him everything he knows. Um, but hey, football, eh? It's crap, isn't it? I was. But uh, what's your thoughts on the season so far? I mean, it's weird because we're having the break after the Ajax game where it looked, well, hopefully a corner was turned. But before that, I was a miserable prick. I'm sure most of the Liverpool fandom was. But what are, you, what are your thoughts? It's It's been a rough start to the season. Um, I think it, it's one of those where we, you know, you've got to try and take it with a sense of perspective of, you know, we've had riches in the last few years and one tricky start to the season doesn't kind of discredit everything that's gone before and there hasn't become a bad group of players. But equally, when you're sat there on, on you know, your Saturday afternoon, your Sunday afternoon or your Tuesday, Wednesday evening, watching us playing pretty awfully and getting embarrassed at times by some pretty awful teams, um, Crystal Palace, Fulham, Man United, I'm looking at you, um, and Everton don't Everton can add to that list. Um, it's not been great, has it? But on the plus side, we're a fraction of the way through the season. Man City have dropped points. Spurs are Tottenham, so they're not going to really do anything. They'll choke. Arsenal see what I just said about Spurs, and we're still in the Champions League. So as bad as it's been, weirdly enough, I'm pretty. I think you know if we can turn things around, everything's still to play for. Yeah, that's the thing. I think. <laughs> The only scary thing about the league is that City have looked vulnerable as well and we've almost wasted their bad patch as well by having our bad patch. That's probably the one negative in that regard. But, yeah, if 
if Man City's vulnerabilities don't get fixed, where I think I was, I think I was are more fixable just by personnel alone. Whereas you look at theirs defensively, except bringing Laporte back in, I don't think that's as big a jump as us having Thiago available. No, it's not. So yeah, I think we can make a bigger improvement, but they've just unfortunately signed a cheat code of a free cup front. Yeah, it's um, it's a bit heavy, isn't it? The whole Harlem thing. Like, you know, you are just hoping that he will come and flatter to deceive. Um, and I think in the Community Shields, he had loads of chances, missed a few. And, you know, obviously you've got social media going after him and we won. It's all great and it's fun. But yeah, I think, like, you know, he's, he's going to take some of those chances. Unless he is doing his best Timo Werner impression, he is going to start taking some of those chances. And my God, he has done, hasn't he? He's an absolute joke. And that's the, that's the problem now with City is that they can play badly, um, but he will get them out of jail. Conversely, though, on the other hand, I do kind of believe the argument that in aspect, I think he might make them worse at times in the sense that he will make them a bit more predictable and maybe a little bit lazy in their tactics if it gets to a point of, well, let's give it to Haaland and see what happens. Having said, though, the tactic so far of oh, let's give it to Haaland and see what happens has been working quite well. And I think you know, you made a really good point there, Guy, about when we won the... Well, not, you sort of mentioned um, that City have stumbled and we haven't capitalised. It made me think of when we won the league. Um, I might have my dates wrong, but I'm pretty sure in their City's first sort of five or six league games, they lost at Norwich, I think 3-2, I remember. Yes. Um, and then I'm pretty sure they lost at home to Wolves as well. Um, and I think there were some other drop points in there too, kind of culminating in when we beat them um, at Anfield, 3-1, I think it was. We kind of, at that point, that was us with a seven or eight point lead. So even though we kind of went on and were pretty much flawless until COVID kicked in, it did give us a little bit of leeway. Whereas you say, you know, now whilst just saying you know, City have looks vulnerable and it's not that they're not going to drop any more points, based on our performances, we're definitely going to drop some more points if we keep up like this. And you do start to think, with the standard that's been required to win the league in previous years, are we out of the run already? I'd say probably not, but I think we need to see some serious changes after the what's going to feel like the world's longest international break um, in order to kind of start recuperating things and start charging towards the top. Because our next few games aren't easy either, are they? I think we've got... Brighton at home next. We've got a resurgent Arsenal team. I think we play City. I'm not sure in what order. So the problem is, if we were going to play poorly, we may as well have lost our games to the Arsenal's of the world because we've kind of had the, you know, we've had the easy fixtures. We've had United. We've had Everton. Games we should be winning, um, and we've got some tough ones to come. Whereas even if we start to play better, which you know, would be pretty difficult to play any worse, uh, we're still going to have tricky games and probably drop some more points. Yeah, that's the thing. I think. We we literally can't play worse than we have in some of these games. The Napoli game is the worst of Klopp's era. The United game was embarrassingly blunt or just unorganised. I mean, the midfield that day was horrendous. Um, even games like Fulham, just uncharacteristically sloppy. Um, Everton, Everton matches can always turn into a ball fest. And... Sometimes we snuck a win, sometimes we didn't. So that one's not the worst. It was a bad performance, but it wasn't the most concerning thing this season. It was just like a crap pile on what the season was already. That's the only issue with that one. Um, But yeah, let's go through some of the players rather than the team performances, because some of the team performances literally feel about two years ago with how time's moved recently. Um, But... Van Dyke is an interesting one, and I, 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 we didn't name him in the ones we picked out, but 
I just did rate on hate where we rated the players from the season. And I know you're young, Ali, so you will have a lot of non-Liverpool fans on Twitter and stuff like that. But when when you see this, I'm going to call it nonsense, but you might disagree. But when you see this nonsense that other fans seemingly say he's finished and he's washed up and stuff like that, I just don't see it. I don't think he's of the same level he was possibly the end of last season and certainly before he was injured, but I still think he's mostly fine. I think there's the odd situation, like giving away penalties is un-Van Dyke-like, but I think he's mostly been fine. He just The system's just destroyed. Yeah, that's that's pretty much what I would say in the sense that I don't think Van Dyke needs to necessarily change much. Like you say, he's had a couple of dodgy moments he made penalty against Fulham, for example. Um, but like you say, I don't think he's been the, the problem. I think that if the unit around Van Dijk, and when I say that, I mean Robertson, I mean Trent, and I mean the midfield, if that goes back to the levels it's been at in the previous years, I think Van Dijk will automatically look like his old self. I think his performances, whilst, yeah, like you say, not being maybe his best, have been by no means poor, um, and they're just being directly influenced by the fact that he's having to do different things to normal because those around him haven't been as good. Um, and I think this is, and it, it's hard to go after individuals because you could say like Trent's been poor at times, you could say the midfield's been poor at times, you could say Robertson's been poor at times, but there's knock-on reasons for all of that. You know, you could argue that Trent's been poor because he's had Harvey Elliott in front of him, who's not the typical kind of, he's going to come back and cover as much. You can argue that Robertson's been poor, but Robertson's played a ridiculous amount of football in the last couple of years. You could argue that Fabinho's had ropey moments, but Fabinho's been playing in midfield on his own at times. And I think it's all this kind of knock-on problem that almost stems from the injuries in the midfield, and obviously in Robertson's case, just you know, not having a rest at all. But going back specifically to Van Dijk, I, actually, I live with a, a friend of mine who's an Arsenal fan who knew I was coming on the podcast tonight and said, oh, are you going to talk about how Van Dijk's lost his aura? Um, to which I straight away came back with, you know, you need to stop getting your opinions from football Twitter. Um, but, yeah. I, but I don't think I don't think he has. Maybe in the eyes of opposition fans, where every kind of short mistake gets clipped and retweeted a million times. But I think all that does is just show how good Van Dyke is and, and how good he's been over the last few years. That he can make one or two mistakes and it's got ten thousand retweets. From my own perspective, you know, when I'm dissecting Liverpool's performances this season and thinking, right, why are we off the pace? Um, why have we, you know, lost these games, fallen behind so quickly in the league? The performances of Van Dyke is nowhere near the top of the the list of problems for me. So, yeah, I think it's just because he is such a big name, any little mistake draws attention. You know, opposition fans, it's not so interesting to say, oh, Liverpool are washed because they've got a 37-year-old playing in midfield. Uh, it's much more interesting to say, oh, you know, Van Dyke's lost it, etc., yeah. etc., etc. Et when if they took a little bit of a closer look, I think you'd see that's probably not the case. Well, you mentioned the midfield there. Dare, dare we jump into that mess? <laughs> oh, dare we? I mean, you, we could probably jump into the midfield ourselves if we get any more injuries. Yeah, that's um, true. The midfield. I mean, do you, do you want to go first? Um, do you think Naby Kurt is actually injured? Oh, Christ, that's a big question, isn't it? Yeah, let's start with I, that. I feel like he was injured in the, when it all came out that he was missing this game and that game purely because if it was a scenario whereby he wasn't injured and he, you know, because of all the transfer stuff and whatever the controversy that we don't know about, whether that come out, I don't see why he wouldn't have gone out on loan and we wouldn't have sold him. Bear in mind, we were actively trying to bring midfielders in. I'm sure that if we really wanted to, we could have seen a scenario where we got another midfielder in alongside Arthur and let Kate go. I don't think that we would 
keep Cater just to not play him to save face. But it's tricky because Klopp traditionally throughout his tenure at Liverpool, um, and maybe potentially at Dortmund, I just haven't done the research, is just unbelievably tight-lipped when it comes to injuries. You know, players will get injured and you'll just have no idea what it is. You know, Henderson will go off with what looks like a dead leg and they'll get told, oh, it's just a knock, he'll be back in a week and then he misses four months. Some players, you get told it's going to be six, six, seven months and they're back after three, four. So it's so hard to see. But, you know, if he's not injured and he is fit to play or at least fit to play some sort of part, then it's an absolute embarrassment that he's not playing unless, like you say, there is something we're not privy to that has gone really wrong behind the scenes. But, like I say, surely if that was the case, then he, he wouldn't be at the club. I don't think we'd have kept him around. So based on that conclusion, yeah, I do think he's injured. But whether it's the severity of a certain injury or something on behind the scenes, I, I think we're definitely only getting half a story from the club and, and from those around it. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Well, the thing with the thing with Kurt, you like, I wouldn't put my house on the fact that he's not injured. But just, just it was that, that 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 quote from Klopp. It was like, oh, he, he you know, he he, oh, fell. he he was fine and he he fell crazy. And it's just he could sum up Naby Keita's Liverpool career in one sentence. Um, because I mean, honestly, like if you look at if if we've got Keita this season, you know. That he's played. He's had really good performances against United in the past. Um, we probably win one of those. If you swap Milner's, yeah. if you swap Milner out those games into Naby, I think we're in a much, much, much better position. I think we've got at least three or four more points in the league. I would probably have still like. I don't think he could have solved the Napoli mess up on his own, but I think we'd be a lot more comfortable in the league at least. And again, we'd have had like the likes of Milner would have to play less. So when he did play, he might have looked better. And then again, you've got that knock-on effect. So. Yeah, I, I, he's got to be injured, surely, because unless he's, you know, killed one of you know the staff member's children, what he's, he's, he's got to be in the team unless he's injured, because we're literally putting out at the moment, Elliot, who's a child and is doing really well, but with some, you know, system issues involved, and, and Milner, who, you know, is literally pretty much all enough to be my dad. And I'm not as young as I was when I started doing these podcasts, so that's that's more of a scary sentence to say these days. You're getting old. You're almost twenty-one. <laughs> hey, twenty, twenty, am I? Twenty-three now. I think I started oh, doing a podcast when I was seventeen. So when I was seventeen, if I said Mill was older than my dad, that's okay. He's just coming out of his prime now. It's it's more concerning. I think that's more worrying for Milner than you, to be fair. <laughs> probably, yeah. Uh, You're probably right. <laughs> uh, dear. But no, I'm looking at the game. I can't remember what, which ones Milner started in exactly, but... Uh, God. Uh, Bournemouth to make a difference. United's the clear one, because that was tragic that day. United's the one, isn't it? That was yeah. painful. If you think how well Cater played at Old Trafford last season and before Paul Pogba went through his shin, yeah. he was absolutely fantastic. You know, He scored the first goal, he was involved in the others... He was absolutely tearing them apart. And that United game, you know, United weren't particularly good. We were just that bad and it played completely into their tactics. And it reminded me actually of not so much the early United games under Klopp because our issues in those games were that we just simply weren't brave enough. They'd be kind of tight, tense games and, you know, they'd, they'd be drawn or they'd go one way or the other. It reminded me more of the Rodgers end of Rodgers era games against United. Um, if you think the... Um, the Juan Mata overhead kick game yeah. um, in 40 finishing where it wasn't that we weren't brave we weren't looking to play football but we were just so unorganised that an unorganised team trying to play football is probably even a shade worse than an unorganised team just trying to park the bus because we were trying to get on the ball trying to play through midfield but 
No one had any idea where they were meant to be. We were all over the place. United, for all their sins, they've got talented players in attack. They've got fast players in attack. They'll punish you on the break and create chances. Um, and, you know, Alisson can't save everything. And, you know, like I say, it was, we only really got going in that game with about 15 minutes left. Um, and that's just one of kind of countless games this season where we've dropped points. And, yeah, there's definitely the mistakes to defence, but the drop points, I think, They've come as a direct result of the problems in midfield because of then the knock-on effect they have further back in the team with your, you know, your Trent, your Robertsons, who have this playing centre-back as well. Yeah, that's the thing. We'll stick with midfield. We'll come back to Trent because I think he's worth talking about. Um, I don't know who to jump to next because Thi- we kind of mentioned Thiago there. Just, he's just too... <laughs> we, we will harvest limbs for him. That's how important he is. It's just... Oh. It's just odd that we've planned our entire season. And maybe it's something you have to do when you've got a player as good as Thiago, but our entire system is basically Thiago dependent. I think if Naby was, let's say, available, we're not sure what's actually wrong with him, but he can stem the issues a bit because he's a better player than whoever else can play that left centre mid. But do you think it's just odd that we our entire system is so dependent on a player who will play, oh God, 25 league games in a good season? I think that this is one of the kind of signs of one of Klopp's very few flaws as a manager in the sense that a couple of years ago, if we had Thiago playing, we know as we did, he's, he's in our best team, he's in our best midfield, yet yeah, we look worse without him. But you've got a version of Jordan Henderson that is better than the 2022 version. You've got a version of James Milner is better than the 2022 version and, and so on. You've, you've got a Wijnaldum in there still. You've got a Navi Cater in there that's actually able to play sometimes as opposed to being you know, banished to Azkaban like he has been this season. So a couple of years ago, you know, we still look like the worst team without Thiago, but we've got the players that are coming in for him are at a higher level in their careers. They're playing better, so it doesn't look as bad. The team around more functioning. Whereas this season, the problem is that we've lost one, we don't have one hours anymore, Cade has not been there at all, so A, we're more reliant on Thiago just to be fit, to be a body in the midfield, to get people on the pitch, but secondly, the drop-off when he doesn't play is much worse, but again, we can't, you know, it's this isn't like the defensive injury crisis of a couple of years ago, where, you know, you lose three centre-backs for over three months each, just like that, where that's a freak incident that, that kind of happens and it was one of those things. This is just poor planning from us because you come into the season knowing that we're quite light on midfielders anyway, knowing that Thiago will have injury problems. It's not a might, he will, and that's absolutely fine. He's a quality player, you accept that, um, and that's why we got him for the fee that we did. You accept that Cater have injury problems, but not getting the bodies in early around them was just suicidal because you know that you're going to have these problems and therefore if they come early on in the season when you haven't managed to integrate kind of an Arthur for example you know it's going to bite you and and it has um, but thankfully you know, Thiago's back now he's looked like he hasn't missed a game he's looked absolutely brilliant immediately comes back into team probably looks like our best player to be honest elevates those around him like Suarez used to but we know that hopefully we'll probably play another kind of 40, 50 games this season. He's not going to be able to play them all. We need to be putting in place. He needs to be better at planning for when he's not going to be there um, so that we can enjoy him a bit more and have him on the pitch. You know, in kind of, you know, games without worrying, we need to get him off because we're worried he's going to get injured. 
we want to be in a situation where we can use him as much as we can in the biggest games we can quite often and then rest him out for the other times because we know the drop-off is not going to be as big. Now, if Keita comes back into the fold, if Arthur gets fit and looks like the player that he did when he was back at Barcelona, we could end up in a pretty strong position for the rest of the season in midfield. But that's a very big if, and that, that might be the case, and brilliant, we have a great second half of the season after the World Cup. But if we're 15 points behind City by that point, then, you know what, you're going to question, well, what's the point? We can rest them for the Champions League games at least. Wow! If we yeah. get through, <laughs> yeah, well, we'd still we'd still kind of play Henderson or Milner in the final, oh, play, awfully. So, you know, no no source allowed in the midfield in major finals. Clearly, that's true. Oh, what if? What if? Eh? Um, do you want to do Milner and Henderson, or do you want to do Elliot first? I think let's do. Elliot first, because I think he works when we're talking about, we've kind of touched on Miller and Henderson, we haven't spoken so much about Elliot in terms of the problems with the midfield. And it, and I feel really sorry for Harvey Elliot at the moment, because I feel like he's gone from hero to zero amongst the fan base without really changing his performance levels. Mm. I think this season, Elliot's played well, he has looked good, he's looked similar to how he was last season, really comfortable on the ball, really good at rotating play around with Trent and Salah. And I think what people have realised recently, you know, myself included, this is, no, I'm not a genius, this isn't something that I was kind of noticed in the first couple of games of the season, but a trend that people have noticed is that a big part of why we're struggling defensively probably comes from Elliot and his lack of kind of defensive mouse and awareness. So this is nothing to do with his effort levels. His effort is absolutely fine. He's putting the work in as, as he should and you'd expect him to. But understandably, again, bearing in mind he's played most of his football as a 10 or as a winger in the championship, Blackburn, he just doesn't have that kind of defensive awareness that we're used to seeing with, say, you know, a Wijnaldum, for instance, when Wijnaldum was playing as one of the eights, which is moving us to a position where it leaves Trent more exposed, means Salah's got to be helping out more, almost even takes up some of Salah's space. So I don't think the problem with Elliot that people have been kind of having a go in for is anything to do with his performances. I think his performances have been consistently good. It's just maybe we're starting to notice a trend that the way he's being used is a, a bit more disadvantageous to the rest of the team than we originally thought. That begs the question now. I'm interested to say what your thoughts are on this. You can do one of a few things. You can take him out of the team and start trying to um, integrate someone else in that position, whether you bring Henderson back for enough games, try Arkham on that side, on the right, you know, Curtis Jones comes back and has a go at it, with move Thiago across, but you bet you can take Elliot out of the team. You could move Elliot's position, although I think that gets a bit more questionable, because where do you move him? You know, you're not going to replace Salah, you want to put him on the left wing, he's not going to play up front. Or, I think this is maybe the ideal option, as opposed to taking out the team, but probably more likely, you could change system move to more of a 4-4-2 but I'm probably going to talk a little bit more about that when we go on to what I assume we'll be talking about Darwin Nunes shortly yeah. so what, what what are your thoughts on Elliot and what we should do with him and how he's been playing it's an odd, it really is an odd one because I think he's certainly in the he's in the conversation for our player of the season but as it's gone on you think yeah, he's just he is an issue but you think well, we don't want you to be an issue, so we won't be hard on you like we are with yeah. players. <laughs> so, but, player of the season and problem of the season at yes, the same time. Exactly, exactly. So, it's just, it, it's an odd one because if Thiago was fit for all these games, this wouldn't be maybe the odd goal where you look, oh, the right hand side, Trent's playing striker like he does for some reason, <laughs> some games. 
more, more does, well, Moore's track back. He was box to box last time. Um, or he wasn't asked to track back in the recent years. And Elliot yeah. is a winger. So he's learning on the job, which which is fine. But the majority of time, our midfield has been Milner or um, Henderson in the left centre mid role. I mean, whatever you think about Henderson, whether you're his biggest fan or Dave, <laughs> and hate him, it's, it's painful watching him on the left. Yes, it's, it's very painful. Just that lad has never played that side, and you can tell in every little movement he does and every big mistake he does in that role. He just doesn't do the angles, doesn't do the position. So I can't blame him for that. But what we saw in the Ajax game, and I, that was probably one of Harvey Elliott's quieter games, to be fair, was just control with him there. I know that their goal came from the right-hand side, but uh, Trent in the second half looked so much more defensively aware. Looks so, great, didn't he? Looks yeah, fantastic. exactly. Exactly. So I don't th- I think as long as we've got Thiago there and asterisk Naby, or maybe Arta. Yeah. I, mean, I might ask you about Arta if you ever actually see him, because I forgot he existed since he's gone to Uber. But I think as long as one of the good left sentiments, and I will say good left sentiments, is there, I think it's not that big an issue. Although I do agree, if we're going to aim to win the league, which might be a bit too far gone now, but might not be, but if we want to go on a massive run, I think we may have to tinker his role. Maybe not the formation, but maybe tinker his role and take out the defensive responsibilities because it's not for a want of trying. I think he, he's just got to learn that. Yeah, but, it's just not in it's not in his skill set. Exactly. It, it might well be one day, but right now it's just, it's just not there for him. Exactly. So it's not his fault, but you know we can't be saying, "Oh, it's okay." I know it's not his fault, so we'll just leave him there. But if we want to win things, we've got to try yeah. and action it. If if our aim was to get eighty five points and that could win us the league, everyone would be like, "Yeah, crack on." He's learning. See what happens. But maybe it'll be lower this season because both teams have started quite inconsistently, but. We have to get ninety-five points to be in the conversation to win the league. <laughs> well, if you look at if you look at Man City when they brought through Phil Foden, he played a lot of his football as one of the eights, yes. uh, and that's because they could because they were so much better than everyone else. weren't really having problems in other areas of the pitch. Didn't have you know, these injury issues, and they could afford to have a Foden playing as one of the eights because they were winning you know four 0 every week. So they mm-hmm. had a little bit of a defensive lapse, lose four one four two. It's not the end of the world. Now what you see with City is that in the biggest games, Foden does not play as the eight ever. Guardiola doesn't trust him there. Plays on the wing, whether it's right or left. He gave now, Jack Grealish one game as an eight and just went, no, nope, that's Grealish not for me, mate. No, not a chance. <laughs> not for and me, mate. It almost goes back to when we used to try and play Coutinho as an eight at Liverpool and all the fans were clamming for it and Klopp just sort of did it a few times and was like, no, nope, not too keen on that. You can be one of the, one of the front three. Yeah. And... I think you. I think that is a really good point and one that I haven't massively considered. But now I hear it from you. I do definitely agree with that. Elliot had, did look better against Ajax. Trent looked better, and the the clear sort of change there is that there's a more not only a more agile left centre midfielder in Thiago, but also like say you know someone that can control the game more that will help us control the possession, which means a little bit less chaos, a little bit risk less risk of getting countered after you know dodgy touches by. Um, additional Milner when they've miscontrolled the ball. So yeah, I think there's an argument there that you can almost get away with Elliot as the right centre mid and add to that and give him the chance to develop and get good minutes there if you've got the left centre mid of Thiago, asterisk Naby, um, and maybe even Arthur, you know, once he gets up and running. But like you say, you know, the, there's 
there's a lot of caveats to that in the sense that you're still not completely fixing the problem by having Yoli out there. Mm-hmm. And it's the case of Thiago's not always going to be fit. We've got no idea what's going on with Naby and Arthur. You know, we'll, we'll see what happens. You just kind of got to let him get fit and then see how he does. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, he does look better with the right left sentiment there. And maybe what, you know, as the season starts to progress, it's just something that he'll grow into. Um, but for now, yeah, it's a problem. It's not his fault. It's just, you know, he's been asked to play there. He's doing the best job he can. We bring some great stuff to that position. But I think thinking back to last season when he played there for a stretch of a few games, we didn't look like we do now. Yeah. You know, we looked much better than we do now. And he was playing in the same position. It was the same kind of role. Obviously, we were playing a different front three. Um, but, you know, you can look at that and think, right, well, you know, whilst Elliot is the eight, it might not be perfect, it might not have these flaws, it's definitely not the sole reason that Liverpool have been losing games, drawing games, because it worked for them there last season for a few games really nicely. Mm. And, and you asked there what the other options then, would you either drop him and bring in a Henderson or something like that? It, bluntly, I think our best midfield is Naby, Thiago, Fabinho. I think that is, but we can't play that because we need if Naby is to play for the team again, for the club again, I think we need them to rotate to have any sort of success, unless Arthur is better than yeah. most people think. Agreed. Um, but I, Elliot can improve in that position, whereas Henderson can't. I think he's personally done in that position. I think he can still be a really good rotational six, but as a top level starter, I don't think Henderson's been good as an eight. Especially. No, let me reword that. I don't think Henderson's been good as an eight since re- since we reworked the midfield into Thiago basically controlling the game, doing Ginny's job, but being much more effective on the ball. And then the right side of centre mid plays right wing, plays as a 10, plays as a right centre mid at the same time. I don't think Henderson's been good in that role since that change. I think he was effective when the right centre mid role was basically... <laughs> It wasn't Ginny on the opposite side. It was just basically he helped cover Trent and was a bit more box to box. Yeah. But now it's so much it's so much more that I don't think he can do that. Unless we tinker with that, I don't think Henderson can do that role. Whereas I think Elliot has the attacking skill set to do that. And I think it it's easier to teach him how to press and defend better than watching Henderson struggle to do that at I think he's thirty one year old now. So I I, I would soldier I'd play Curtis Jones in that role before Henderson. And I don't particularly rate Curtis Jones that much. I think he's better suited to that role than the left side of the one we kind of pigeonhole him into. But I just don't think Henderson can do that role. So I'd, I'd soldier... If if Naby is done and we need them to, as I say, I'd just soldier on with Elliot. I'd have Jones as his backup. I'd have Henderson as Fabinho's backup. I'd have... Tiago is the left. Arter slash Nabi is back up, and if we have sufficient break, maybe tinker with NFT midfield, which I hate that cringy name for it. But yeah, but it's just yeah. I I think that's how it'll set out. I think we got to play the two young lads in midfield. Unless we tinker and play a four-two-three-one, as you as you said, then maybe you can bring Carvalho into this conversation. But the Everton game, he. He just he wasn't a midfielder, was he? Bless that him. was that was that was bold from Klopp, wasn't yes. it? We haven't really talked about Carvalho yet. Maybe it's a good time to get onto him now. You mentioned it because that was one of the most surprising team selections I've ever seen from Klopp when he went with um, Fabinho and then Elliot and Carvalho as the two eights. 
Um, and again, like you, you'd look at it and say, well, Carvalho has looked really good off the bench. He's looked really lively, deserved it. Um, but yeah, that was surprising. Unsurprisingly, we looked really open on the counter-attack and probably, you know, yeah. we could have won that day, but just as easily could have lost. I would have bet um, my I, house on Milner playing that game. Yeah, I can't, can't believe that how, how that game was goalless. I've got absolutely no idea. You know, I, I think you're at Henderson's done as a top level eight. I mean, there's an argument to say that Henderson really has been a top level eight apart from 13, 14. Um, and maybe even a stretch um, in eighteen ninety when we were in the Champions League, you'd go back and think the Southampton goal off the bench, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but he was still effective as an eight. Though. Yeah, it was. He, he functions yeah. functioned in the system there a couple of years ago. Whereas I agree, now he doesn't. I think he will bring more to the defensive side of the game than Elliot purely because I just think positionally he won't charge forward as much. But then again, you do watch him sometimes and think, what are you doing? Charging forward there, moving transfer. So I think it's not even the strength of Henderson. And that's why I think overall, minus system change, which we'll talk through maybe in a little bit when we talk about um, Nunez yeah. and talk through the attackers. I think if you're going to keep playing the 4-3-3, then I think Elliot and what he brings going forward and the long term of what he's going to gain from playing there is a better trade-off than going to a Henderson or a Milner. And obviously, that is all caveated by if we start to get Thiago's, Cater's, uh, Arthur's fit and playing well, then maybe you look at it again. But when you look at what we've had so far this season, as much as I've kind of, you know, slated clock some of his decisions and the fact that he should have signed more midfielders, Gem, anyway, bear in mind what he's had to work with putting that aside. I think he's probably made the right decision to just to keep Elliot in and give him a chance. Because if we're going to, you know, not be perfect and, and drop points, then we may as well not be perfect with a team that is developing and, and showing potential for the future, as opposed to not being perfect with, you know, Henderson or Milner. Because if you put Henderson or Milner into the team for Elliot for those games this season, which you couldn't because Milner's played alongside Elliot half the time, but hypothetically, you know, our problems don't go away. Um, if anything, we probably maybe slightly better defensively, but a much more blunt attack. So, mm. you know, we've kind of, it's, you know, you'd have to pick the best for the bad bunch so far, I think. I was going to move on to Trent, but we'll move on to, to more. And I think he kind of links in with, with Elliot. I think this again changed in the Ajax game, which I think this is why a lot of people, myself included, think it might be a turning point. Do you... Do you think having two left-footed inverted people is just kind of muddling it a bit? Because that, that could be another argument for people who who want Henderson back in the team or whoever back on the, in that right side of the team. But I think the Ajax game, we flipped it about and more played a bit more narrow, and that's why he wasn't diabolically terrible. <laughs> um but what have you made of more basically holding hands with the assistant ref most of the time? It's it's been strange to watch, hasn't it? I really enjoyed you using two inverted left footers. On oh, that was a good phrase. That was a good phrase. Some have been playing football manager all day. Um, oh, maybe. <laughs> two inverted left footers on the right hand side. Um, again, and I, I hate to keep going back to the field, but I think this is um, a knock on effect, and the reason for that is because of Elliot's. Yeah, if you think about Mo and how it always works really nicely in the sense of Mo's always kind of cut in and almost joined as a second striker at times. That's because the the right side of the field, I suppose, typically is able to shift across, almost play the right back with the right winger at times, depending on where Trent is. If you think of, say, Oxlade-Chamberlain versus Atletico Madrid, the classic example, basically was playing right centre mid that yeah. night, but basically ends up playing as a right winger. The reason that that's always worked really well and that's given Mo the licence to go in as a central striker is because if you kind of close your eyes and think about our players as dots on the pitch, 
the central midfielders will naturally come across um, because you've been able to have Henderson and Fabinho come across and play as a two together. Not so much Henderson anymore, but he used to be able to do it. You've had Henderson and Wijnaldum be able to come across and almost form two-man midfield. You'd have Fabinho and Thiago now, who are great at it, coming across and forming a two-man midfield. So it almost allows us to be really fluid in the game in the sense of you can have Mo coming in because that will allow your Elliot to go out wide and that will allow Fabinho to come across and then say Thiago come across or Cater come across because Fabinho, Thiago and Cater are already comfortable in midfield too. You'll see if we get counter-attacked that, you know, that they're absolutely fine to handle that because they've got the legs, they've got the positional awareness. This season, because we've been playing Henderson left centre mid, a position that he's not good in, we've played Carvalho left centre mid against Everton. We've played um, Milner left centre mid on numerous occasions. The problems that has is that none of those three can tuck in and form a two-man midfield if we have our right centre mid to the right side of it going across to the right-hand side to allow Salah to come in. So I think that's why Salah has been much more kind of isolated, hugging the touchline, playing that role, because I think he's been instructed to by Klopp, because we don't have the confidence that if he goes in and starts playing as almost the second number nine, I think the team shape is just going to look atrocious, because Elliot's going to be left covering too much space, and we aren't able to move the midfield across as much as we would if we had a Wijnaldum or a Thiago play. And so hopefully, again, I say we have Thiago's back and to solve all our problems, that will become less of an issue. And like we did against Ajax, we know had a really good game, we'll start to see him inside more. So I, I do think it's something that's been done on purpose and for a reason. Whether that is kind of having an overall positive, I guess you know it's difficult to say because we haven't we just simply haven't got a comparison of what it's like when Mo tries and does his normal thing with a Milner or a, a Carvalho or a Henderson left centre mid. Um, but I understand why Klopp's doing it. I still think he looks a great player out on the wing. Um, some of his passes and the chances he's created this season have been tremendous. Some of his defensive work's been really good. I think it was only the, the, one of the last recent games we've had where we saw him and Elliot sprinting back. I think it might have been the Ajax game, actually. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. by no means do I think Salah's played poorly. Um, do I think he's not trying? I just think that his numbers are a bit lower because, like you say, he's been forced into a more natural average position. And I don't think that Klopp's just suddenly decided to try and turn him into a left-footed right you know, version of Aaron Lennon on the wrong on the wrong side of the pitch. Um, I think it is just the case that the the way the team's been balanced has forced him to play that you know holding the lines in hand role where he can be a bit closer to Elliot um, and to Trent to kind of help cover those spaces where Elliot maybe isn't as positionally switched on and able to. Like you say, you know, oh, is that a problem for Elliot? Well, like to an extent, but. As we've mentioned, if you can get, you know, your Fabinho and Thiago midfield sorted, then that solves a lot of that problem. So they'll actually be able to kind of come across and cover much better than a Milner or a Henderson can. Yeah, I think we just may have to switch it a bit. I think, <clears throat> obviously, Elliot, for the most part of the season, has kind of taken up the central roles. And I think if we put Mo in them roles, I think it'll just up our danger factor. Christ, what the hell am I saying? <laughs> Our friend Danger Factor. Danger sounds Factor. Like a, sounds like a film you'd see. It sounds like a terrible fit, like a Channel 4 11 o'clock on a Sunday night film. God, so remember that? For, you, no, you're too young. Fear Factor. People my age will remember that show. I've heard I've heard of it. Joe Rogan it. used to host it. That. It was brilliant. It was amazingly terrible television. Um, yeah, I think it'll improve our threat going forward if we just put more in more central areas rather than the wide ones. But yeah, I think defensively. Again, it'll improve with, with the good midfielders being there. But 
Uh, we'll finish up with with the last of the right hand side. I mean, Trent. Um, I think some of it's been un- indefensible, which is funny because Trent can't defend. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think some of the Napoli game was indefensible, as was a few other people's um, performances. But even even in some of our better games, some of it is looks lazy, and. I don't think we've ever been. Well, I don't think we've been able to accuse any of our players of being lazy. Um, but I don't know if it was fatigue or whatever, or just giving up in the game and just having a feeling we were getting smashed that day or something. But Trent, you can forgive the occasional defensive lapse where, take the first game, getting destroyed by Mitrovic in the air, people were slaying him. Like, what, what do you want him to do? Mitrovic is a monster. But. Yeah. The Napoli game, where you watch him literally park up and have a seat watching Joe, Joe Gomez get bullied, it's like, man, come on, you can you can have a defensive lapse, but being lazy is a different thing. But I, the I think almost the more worrying thing is the attacking output isn't compensating that where it can and should. But I think the def- uh, the attacking output's gone downwards, and the defensive performance has gone downwards as well. Yeah, um, I know you're exactly right. You forgive Trent for being beaten at the back post by Mitrovic because most fullbacks would. You can forgive him for having a tough time um, against, you know, Marcus Rashford of the world when United are on the counter attack and the midfield's terrible. Because if I was a right back and again with the terrible midfield and then I was having one of the fastest players in the league running at me, I'd probably struggle as well. But for the instances of laziness or the Napoli game, it's just standing around ball watching. That is just shocking. And again, our problem comes back to, you know, Calvin Ramsey, he's signed a good young right back, he's been injured. We can't stick Trent in the stand for a game to say, you know, Bournemouth at home would have been a great chance to take him out off the back of some of those performances. Um, and then the problem therein lies that is it fatigue because he's had to play so many games? Is it complacency because he's the only one that's been, you've been playing right back? And I know we play Gomez there occasionally, but it's very different for us to change the way we play. Um, is it a mixture of both? Probably. But either way, you know, it doesn't make it acceptable. He's been poor um, and needs to sort it out. And like we mentioned earlier, the second half against I actually looks really good. So maybe it's the case that, you know, having the likes of Thiago back in the team gave him a bit of a boost. Things started coming to him a bit easier. If so, that's fantastic. And I look forward to seeing him return to his world-class, you know, best fullback in the world self over the rest of the season. But that doesn't excuse laziness. You know, you can excuse poor performances. You can excuse off days. You can't excuse... You know, not trying, and and that's what it looks like against Napoli, for example, when he's just walking, watching the ball being passed around him. So, what you're hoping is that you know this is a moment in his career that he's not really had yet, and Klopp, being the great man manager that he is, the perfect manager for to kind of have him turn that around to get in his ear and be able to sort it. And you know, have senior figures around the squad, you know, your Hemsons, your Milners, your Van Dykes, your Sellers, that are picking up on things and forcing him to work harder. You know, if I'm Mo Salah and I've just decided, you know what, I'm going to stay, I'm signing a massive contract, and I'm looking at looking back down the line at Trent, just not really giving a so-and-so and not really trying, I'm going to be, you know, pissed off and I'm going to be in his ear. So I think there's enough of signs there with this place he's got around him, the, you know, the, the talent he obviously has, the level he can play to, and the, you know, the hope, the fact that the squad should hopefully be getting a bit better now we've got players with total injuries. There's enough there that you can literally turn it around. We might come back from the national break and he's absolutely fantastic again. But, you know, you, you can't come out and, and defend him for some of the performances this season because some of them just have looked lazy. 
which is difficult because Liverpool fans are used to defending Trent because he gets a lot of rubbish in the press, gets a lot of rubbish on the fans that he can't defend this and that. We can defend, he's a decent defender and he's a world class attacker. But this season he's been an average attacker and a pretty terrible defender. Um, and there's only so long you can defend it for before you just start saying he needs to sort it out or he needs to try and look at you know, putting him in the stands for a couple of games and trying to get Ramsey fit and give him a chance. Not not as the long term, I'm not saying that we take Trent out of the team forever, but he doesn't even have the threat at the moment of one or two games on the bench because we need him to play. And I think sometimes, especially for a young player, you need to have that threat there just to keep you on their toes and, and keep that complacency away. Yeah, we do need a right-footed Simicast, but that's been an issue for so long. <laughs> uh, as we're all the way the way Simicast is going, we'll be saying we need a right-footed Robertson when Simicast displaces Robertson from the team. But uh, that's true. I think it might be maybe Robertson. I think it might be more how Robertson's going rather than Simicast yeah. is going. Uh, but that's for another time. Um, let's get into the attacking because you you mentioned it a few times. Eh? We'll do Lewis D- Lewis Diaz quickly because he's the positive one. Um, it's an odd one because I think everyone talks about replacing Mane and and thinking it's Darwin. Yeah, I've done it. I think it's Diaz. I, I I don't think he's and I didn't expect him to be. I don't think he's close to being peak Mane levels. But you what you look at him and I think. He is uh, 2016-17 Mane. I think he's just... We're waiting for, well, basically the team to sort itself out. And I think he... You can see that jump that Mane took um, in 18-19 and 19-20, where he probably became our, certainly our best attacker in that period, I think. Because Moore was clearly the best one in 17-18. 18-19 was kind of even. Then 19-20, when we won the league, Mane just went super saiyan. Um, yeah. I think we can see that same jump, but I think he's still really in that 16, 17 man air mold. But I think that yeah, jump will come this he's season. He's just a little bit, he's a little bit still raw, isn't he? Yes. He's just lacking a little bit of that, that killer instinct. It always makes me laugh just on the, the whole Mane salad debate. And they're both you know, both amazing players. And you try not to compare too much, but I'm very much the, the Salah's for the better opinion because Mane's best season of Liverpool was that 18 19 when his numbers just matched Salah's purely. Yes. So Mane's best season was just matching Salah. But um, Diaz is absolutely fantastic. And I think the narrative around Liverpool's attack and how certain individuals have been perceived would be much different if we had paid the Nunes 60 million for Diaz and say the 35 40 million that we paid for Diaz for Nunes. I think if you swap those price point. tags around, it looks a lot more. It looks like it makes a lot more sense. But Diaz has been really good. I think the thing I like about him is that, like you say, he's got that kind of 16, 17 Mane vibe about him. He's got brilliant coming on that right foot scoring. He'll work stupidly hard. Um, you know, the final ball, that kind of thing, isn't always there, but you know it's coming. You know he can get better. And I also like, and this is what I mentioned earlier, in terms of shape, if you at some point in the season say, you know what, what we're going to do, is moved to more of kind of like a four-four-two, where you've got Fabinho and Thiago um, playing central midfield. Um, you're having, you know, say Elliot just going to play as more of a pure right midfielder, or maybe even put Kate there or something like that, or move Trent forwards and play Gomez as right back. And mm. you, if you want to stick Salah and Nunes up front in more of the two, I think Diaz, if you want him to, can play as more of that conventional winger. Um, but equally, the great option is that he also looks absolutely brilliant as a more of a goal-scoring winger in a four-three-three. I just think that, as we can all see, that final product gets a bit better. He can go supernova in the next couple of years. He could be the new Mane. You know, if Salah slows down in the next few years and does take on more of this creator role, isn't in the box as much, and then maybe that works and Salah ends up being this brilliant 
holding hands with the assistant referee player, always on the touchline, creating chances. And Nunes is the one in the box. It's just at the moment he's he's you know very very good without quite being of that level where you know you can bank on him scoring pretty much every game. But the thing is though, I don't think he was bought to do that. Especially if we had in mind that Mane was going to be leaving and we're going, mm. we're going to be getting Nunes in. Obviously, yeah, don't get me wrong. You always want your front three to all be scoring loads of goals. But if you think back to Mane, Firmino, Salah, the reason that that worked so well was because you had one of them in Firmino that did more of the selfish job for the team that wasn't on the end of the final ball so much so that Mane and Salah could break into the box at a rate of knots. If you look at Salah, Nunes and Diaz, it makes more sense for Diaz to be more of that typical winger, doing more of that selfish role, maybe even getting stuck into the midfield at times in the middle foot out from the ball, and then have Salah and Nunes going forward and being the ones that are more in the box, the more selfish side and then the chances. We just haven't really had a chance to see it yet though, have we? Because Nunes has been um suspended at times, then kind of been in that the team with problems. Um so we just haven't had the chance to see what that looks like as a three generally, let alone with a functioning team behind it. Um and I just, I'm interested to see once we do hopefully have, you know, the NF team in the field as you put it, or or even just Fabinho, Thiago Elliott how Diaz, Nunes and Salah start to work and start to build relationships as a three when Salah isn't having to hold the hands of those behind him as much when Diaz starts to kick on a bit and obviously mm. wants to do then to get someone into him. And that's before you you even count Diogo Jota. I mean, I'd be feeling pretty bummed if I was Jota having done the fantastic work that, that he's done for Liverpool so far in his career with us and then having us go out and buy you know, a £60 million striker to go and play this position. Um, obviously Jota's, you know, um, very versatile and can play different positions. How you know you could even go to that four plus two I mentioned and have Jota as your right side midfielder. He'd probably do a decent job for you. But I think it's a shame for him um, that he's almost of that kind of. If you think you know Pedro at Barcelona about a decade ago, mm. that kind of level where he's definitely good enough to to start in the front three for a very good team. But he's that kind of player that. For an elite team, he's the first off the bench as opposed to kind of the last on the pitch. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think it's a shame. It's a weird one because I think when we signed Jota, I wasn't really that much of a fan because at Wolves, he always he seemed like a very patchy, but he was a young player as well, so you kind of expect that. But he was very patchy. And I think we have seen that a bit at Liverpool because the start of last season, he was fantastic. Then... Similarly with Moore after the um, January break, and he just, I think he may have got injured or something like that, and we, no, we rushed him back for the League Cup, didn't we? Um, mm-hmm. or something like that. And he just never looked the same afterwards. But I think if he had the full pre-season, didn't get the injury, thanks Portugal for playing an injured player and all that jazz, um, I think he would have started the season and we would have had a very familiar front three because, let's be honest, we haven't really talked about Bobby, but Bobby's had a really good run at times, but he, he's still not what he was. Like, No, he's not. Yeah. He doesn't have the physical capability to have the impact that he did against the top teams. Yeah. Um, it's just the link still is technically not the brilliant. same. Yeah. yeah. Like against, you know, against, like, but it was brilliant against Bournemouth because he, he you know, he could just. He's not he a championship just, player. He, he could, because he could just, because he could just, you know, he could just vibe. He was just yeah. there vibing, chilling, nice little passes on the end of things. Um, 
But yeah, I think, you know, we can't rely on him consistently. But that's fine because he's at the age now where I think you know, with him, we use him properly. Where, you know, we've start, we've got water replacements for him. He probably knows what his role is. It's just a shame that Klopp can't have that kind of ruthless streak over the rest of the pitch. Because it is, yes. it's kind of weird, surprising how much he loves Firmino. Yeah, he's happy to, you know, move Firmino to a bench role, have him as a bit part player to buy big names as his replacement. Because, you know, he's dropped us and he knew he's coming in. Whereas in the midfield, it's like, well, you know, Henderson, Milner, we'll roll you out as much as we can. It's just kind of a bit of a weird one, given the perception that it has around kind of Klopp and Firmino. It shows that Klopp can be ruthless when he wants to be with his favourites, because Firmino's definitely one of his favourites. Um, we've we've actually planned out the forward line so well. Like, it worked out perfectly. Like, maybe Darwin isn't the best fit in terms of replacing Mane slash Bobby, because Mane was the striker by the end of last season, but... As yeah. I said, I think we, I think we both agree Diaz is the replacement for for Mane, and exactly. but the timing was perfect. We had Jota as like the middle one who filled in, and then Darwin can be the long term up, probably level up into if he meet, if he reaches his potential, he will go on to another level. I well, think that's that's, really that's the thing, you know, with, with with Darwin, you know, he it's easy to forget because we paid so much money for him, but he he's only just turned twenty three. Yeah. He's a really young player, especially for a striker. If you look at the likes of you know Jamie Vardy, for example, he hit his peak what in his late twenties, early thirties. You know, I think Haaland's obviously a big exception, but a lot of strikers these days do He's start to hit peak to later on in their career. But exactly, you know, we've bought an actual you know functioning human with emotions. Well, even even our lives. When when did Morn when Morn Mane peak? Twenty six. Well, Salah is what now sort of thirty. 30. 30. So he'll have signed for us 2017. So he's signed when he's 25. So he didn't peak till what, 26, 27, 28? Um, even in the last couple of years, you could say Sam has peaked. You know, strikers and players generally now peak later. Nunes could for us be a pretty good player for the next couple of years, but maybe not even be a nailed starter all the time. You know, there yeah. might be times where Jota gets a run, where Mina gets a run, where we play Salah as the striker and put some out wide. And Nunes could then still, you know, in two or three years, when he's 25, 26 turn into some sort of supernova, be one of the first things on the team sheet. And when Salah's ageing a bit, Nunes becomes our main provider. I think because of the price tag, because of the performance of the team, there's a little bit of a, you know, people are always going to demand things, the price tag, and, you know, you're not meant to buy potential. If you're paying that much for a 23-year-old, they've got to be good straight away. And yeah, mm-hmm. it's definitely extent to that. But I think Liverpool fans kind of take a step back and think, we don't need Nunes to come in, or we shouldn't at least, we shouldn't need Nunes to come in and be a 20-25 goal player straight away because we've got a shotter to come in and start up front of the so we've got Firmino to come in. We should be able to bed him in naturally over time um, in a well-functioning team. It's just a shame for him that he's come in, um, done something stupid in what, his second game after a really great start, got sent off against Palace, and has then come back into a really disjointed fold where, you know, he probably hasn't had the chance to settle and start building relationships with players because, you know, Salah's not, he can't really build a relationship with Salah because Salah's not playing his normal game because he's playing with, you know, um, a different midfield behind him. Same with um, even Diaz compared to who he had behind him last season. You know, he's not used to playing with Milner. He's not used to playing with the ghost of Andy Robertson. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's going to take time to build these relationships. And even after the international break, hopefully when we start to look more like our normal eleven and probably starts playing Nunes a bit more, it'll still take him time again because Salah will then start hopefully playing differently because he's you know got a more functional midfield behind him. Diaz might start playing differently with um, Thiago behind him as opposed to Milner. So it's all going to change, but I think you know there's enough there from Nunes to, in terms of quality that he can go on and be a really good player. He just needs to 
try and you know chill out a bit and, and do less donkey like things. But some of the best some of the best footballers in the world do donkey like things, you know. Um it, it's okay to not be the most aesthetically pleasing player in the world as long as you score the goals and get the results. And I think, you know, people have just got to give him time. Um it's easy to write him off, you know, a couple of months in because it's not been perfect so far. But if we did that, then, you know, we'd probably be writing off a lot of players. Fabinho wasn't great his first couple of months. Klopp didn't play him that much, you know. Robertson was benched by Alberto Moreno. Yes, I need to get a mention. Moreno is Moreno is in great form for that couple of months after Robertson signed. Um so it's going to take time, but I think the attack, I think you just put it perfectly, we, the, the long-term planning for the attack has been pretty good. has been what we'd expect more in terms of Liverpool's recruitment. So I'm not as worried about it as I am in midfield. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think the thing with Darwin is the money paid, I know people say it's a bazillion euros or whatever, when in fact it's, what, 67 and then it goes to 85 if he actually does well, which... Yeah. Means he's justified his price tag. 67 at the moment. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's still a lot of money, and I think it's our second highest, I believe, um, after Van Dyke. But yeah, it's around the Allison fee, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's just, it's because it's Liverpool, and we've obviously, I'll, I'll use excuse for want of a better phrase, but it, it, to be honest, it's just the reality. It's not an excuse. We can't spend the money. Never mind Man City, we can't spend, well, we probably could, but we don't spend the money of even a Chelsea, even a bloody Arsenal in recent years. Yeah. Even Everton, to an extent. Yeah, well, I don't know. Or Aston, Aston Villa, give us their budget, we can yeah. make top of the league by miles. Absolutely, absolutely. So when, when we spend, when we spend big on a player, and at that, at that time, at that time, we didn't really bring any money in. I think by the end of the window, we were spent five mil or something, so... It always happens. <laughs> FSG always get the yacht paint money back. <laughs> so it's, I think, just the optics of it from everyone, not just not just um, non-Liverpool fans, but Liverpool fans as well. I think there is an expectation, but when you look in the reality of it, we've signed a young lad from the sixth, fifth tier league in the world not to you yeah it depends on what you depends on what you rate rate the depends yeah. on what you rate the French league I guess but yeah. And it, I don't want not naive, but I think it'd be un Liverpool like if he came in and just went, You're re- you, you've replaced Mane and Bobby in one player straight away. And it's like, Yeah, when you look at the Klopp's track record for how he beds in signings, typically it would go against the grain a little bit, wouldn't it? Yeah, and you think about all the players who we've signed and who actually came in straight away after we had an actual good team because I think six, uh. 16, 17, but Ginny and Mane, they were obviously going to come in straight away. Yeah, and Mo. But yeah, after 16, 17, who's came in straight away and went in the team straight away? Well, if you, if you go through the team, if you, like, you know, if you go through the team, patch from Alisson came in straight away, yes. but that's because we spent 70 million on a goalkeeper. Robertson didn't. Um, Van Dyke did, um, because he beat again, big money, but Kanate didn't. Um, even Matip didn't play all the time during his first uh-huh. season. Trent obviously came in because of Klein's injury. That's kind of a different story. Well, he still Fabinho rotated did. with Gomez for the first year. Yeah, very good point. Very good point. Fabinho didn't. Um, Diaz was in and out. This was his Jota was in and out. Um, so, you know, it's... it's Weirdly, it, Naby did. <laughs> he did start yeah, straight away. Naby came in. Well, they, they knew he was going to get injured at some yeah, point. Yeah, just so like... like he's, he's, he's fit. We better hurry up and play him. 
Um, but yeah, it's not. I, I think it's not a worry that for us that Nunes has come in and isn't suddenly first name on the team sheet, having you know as many goals as Harlan because it's it's just not really the way we've ever done transfers. I think. Especially, I know I appreciate the fans. It's exciting when we spend this big money on players, and I get excited by it too. And you know, we don't do it often, so it's nice. And but I, I do think you're right. I think that leads to kind of a bigger level of scrutiny that's needed, especially when we live in a world where we know typically how Klopp will operate and transfers. And when we've got the likes of Shotty, likes of Firmino, that can play in the same position, that are damn good players. You know, you don't always need the shiny new toy to you know be ripped out of the packet and torn to shreds straight away. You can you know give it the odd game off the bench, give it the odd start and, and integrate it. And yeah, I think the the headbutt obviously caught probably obviously didn't, didn't help fault and <laughs> didn't 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 help the attention on him. Um but I, I think, you know, once we get back hopefully to our own normal ways, I think Nunes will, will start to kick on and, and, and typically just sort of have more of that shot in and out of the team a bit, but doing a decent job feel. Yeah, it's just a, it's a tough one with Darwin because I'm not sure what the right game is to bring him in. I mean, let's look at our fixtures. I am scrolling the wrong way. That'd probably help if I went downwards. So we got scroll the wrong way. You'll look yes, at the results. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> bring back bad memories. But we play Brighton new manager new manager belt Brighton I should say on the Saturday October first. Then we play Rangers on Tuesday that week. Then Arsenal, was that at home or away? That's at Anfield. Um, okay, because so Darwin that, Nunes at Ibrox just absolutely stinks for red cards. It, it does really, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Then Arsenal, as we said, I think I'm guessing that'll be a Sunday game if it's at half four. Uh, Rangers, um, that game. Then it's Man City. So I, I think for the Brighton game, we almost have to roll with what we played against Ajax. Maybe tinker the odd thing because we obviously played a bit more controlling in the second half. Um, maybe Rangers is the game for Darwin if we're at home because maybe Rangers at home because they are pretty poor. Yes, and well, it's basically a Championship team. Let's be fair. And then maybe just, just got a magical Jota, stadium. Yeah. <laughs> and may, maybe gives Jota the run against Arsenal because he's got a pretty good record against them. Or, or Bobby, Firmino, because, yes. Um, <laughs> and then maybe, maybe, maybe again, you simply go Jota off me, and then maybe you bring Darwin back in against City because he had quite a lot. I, yeah, we gave him a lot of trouble in the Shield. He probably did a yeah. good job there as well. And that's so, Anfield and that, as well. But that's the thing, game. like you know, we, we've with with Nunes, we've got the players where we can pick and choose the game. So right, let's bring him in for that one. Let's take him out for that because we've got all the great players that can play the same position. With poor Arthur Mello, he needs to get fit and come in because we've mm. got a, a granddad and a child playing midfield at the moment. Um, or Thiago, we can't have play you know four games in ten days. One saving grace for us, I think, this season um, is the World Cup. Because yes. if you look through our team, Salah and Diaz aren't going, um, and Thiago, Thiago probably won't go. It's yeah. weird. It's weird, isn't it? Because he's not in the Spain squad, um, despite being fit. I guess. I'm, I'm, listen, by no means am I an expert on the Spanish national team, um, but my only guess would be they've got a good group of centre midfielders. Well, a lot of them are quite young. I ones. guess it's Pedri, I, I, Rodri. Is it Gavi? Gavi already maybe, played. Maybe. God knows. But yeah. But I guess the thing with Thiago is that they probably wouldn't want to be like, right, Thiago's in our team, Thiago's in our team, two months, like two weeks before the tournament, or Thiago's out for a month. That's probably where the thinking comes in, which is probably mm. fair enough to them. But yeah, it's surprising that he's not in the team. You'd think he might make the squads at least as an option, but he's probably not going to play much football then. Salah's not going to play much football. Diaz isn't going to play much football. Fabinho doesn't always start for Brazil. Um, Gomez isn't going to be there for England, so it looks unlikely. I'm pretty sure that Matic doesn't play in this national football anyway, so he's going to get a break. 
Kanate might be with the France squad, but he's going to play loads. I don't think Trent. he will, to be honest. I think he, really? the French manager's weird, isn't he? I think he, mm. I think Kanate got his first call up, but what, I think if I remember correctly, it was Fafana who was originally picked, but you got Saliba he, in there as well. Yeah, I think Trent Fafana who won't play much. Yeah, Trent. Um, I don't think Trent will go. A Scotland going? No, no, no. No, Scotland lost to lost and Ukraine. So you know. We're going to come back in you know, January with a lot of players that have almost had a chance to have another pre-season. Yeah. So if we can just stay in the title race, and by that I mean just probably stay within five points of City, so match them from mm. now until uh, match them from now until the World Cup, then who knows in the second half of the season? You know, we could be great in the Champions League again. But I think, like I was saying earlier, you know, the worry for me is that we've dropped points in games we should be winning. We're about to play, like you said there, we're about to play Brighton, Arsenal and City, who have probably been three of the best five teams so far in the league this season. Um, and that's what's scary because we could, you know, very easily play really well against Brighton, against Arsenal and City and very easily drop, you know, two, three, four points in those games. Um, but that's just the nature of the league at the moment. I think the quality in terms of, like, Arsenal and Spurs are better than they've been. Um, the quality of the mm. table, like even the individual quality, like West Ham have just signed Paqueta, Newcastle just signed Alexander Isaac, who looked great at Anfield. It's it's crazy now how the how sort of stacked the mid table is in terms of some of the players, like the some of the non top six. Even United have got better. Even United, they they were coming from a pretty low bar, but equally, you know. That yeah, that makes our lives harder, but it makes it harder for City as well. It makes it mm. harder for Chelsea. The other teams that want to win the title. Um, and you know if, if Haaland gets injured and hurts his knee for a few weeks because he's got a tendency to do maybe even City end up getting pe- pegged back a little bit so whilst yeah I know the, the mood of our chat today has been quite this is going wrong that's going wrong we should have this better downbeat it's still early days and there's still a lot to play for you know we won two trophies last season we could have won four there's no reason why we can't go and win another couple this season we just need to fix some things and, and you know just be a bit more wise now decision making well, that's the thing. I think, as a double check, in Norway aren't at the World Cup, but Belgium are. And for all the love Haaland's getting, and much deserved love, let's be fair, that bloke is not human. De Bruyne's still the key for me. Yeah, he, he's, he's, the, he's the difference between Liverpool. Can you can you imagine him in the Liverpool team as the right side of the No, because could you imagine, <laughs> imagine, <laughs> imagine the amount of players that put the opposing team would put to Mark Trent, <laughs> oh, KDB and more. The left side would, would just be like the right back on it. Their it right be back a ghost, just be a ghost town. Yeah, it'd be mental. Uh, but yeah, Belgium, to be fair, have quite a tough group as well. So I'm guessing De Bruyne will have to play most games because they've got Canada who I think, I can't, I think they came Not first. Not a terrible or, team. Yeah, they came first or second in, in the North or the Ameri- um, North or Central America, whatever the hell it is. Um, qualifying on, Morocco. On, on the calf, yes, it. yes, that's one. Morocco, who I I think are growing quite well as a, as an Afcon team. Obviously, yeah. got Hakimi and stuff like. That. And Croatia are always a pain in the ass for everyone to play. So, yeah, so he's going to have to play all three of those. He'll have to games. play all of them. I'm not sure how it works, but if they're playing, if it works out how this, I'm not sure it is. But if they're playing Group E, which if it does work like that, they'll probably have to play Spain or Germany. Um, it might yeah. not work like that, but if it does, that's a tough game. But it's, and this is probably Belgium's last chance of winning something. So there'll be a lot of pressure on him. 
Who else is key for City? Uh, the England lad. I don't think the Diaz. Diaz will be playing Portugal. What's Portugal's group? Ghana, Uruguay, South. Oh, that's probably that's a tough one. Ghana, Uruguay, yeah. South Korea. So and, that... Walker, and, and Walker will be playing for England as well. And England, and to be fair, Walker's really key. If England don't get to the semi-final, it's a failure. Let's be fair. So that'll be Ford and Walker. Grealish, who gives a toss? Um, Stones, probably. Stones, yeah. yeah. Holland, Aki. Aki will be playing for Holland and Van Dijk. Uh, Cancelo for Portugal as well. The, the World Cup could change a lot. You know, you yeah. don't have this injury on players, but you, you just if we're predicting, you know, some teams are going to get lucky at the World Cup and not get players injured. Some teams are going to have horrendous luck. And it's yeah. just the point of... You know, I'm not saying I wish all City players would get injured, but if that scenario does occur, <laughs> we need to. We need to. <laughs> you're to say. If, if that scenario is, we need to be able to take advantage of it, and that's why I think if we can stay four or five points off them until the World Cup comes, then anything to play for because you know we tend to be able to put really good runs together in the second half of the season. Well, that's the, a, City. If, that's the thing. If Thiago's fit for when we play them, I'm touching all the wood in in my room. All of it. Um, if he's fit for that game and we figure out defending and laziness and stuff like that, I think we can we can beat it because it is at Anfield. They, when we actually have like centre-backs and stuff, I don't think they beat us at Anfield. I might be wrong in that, but we have a good record against them at Anfield, whether it's drawing or losing. But if we, Yeah, I don't, think we've, I don't think we've lost them at Anfield on the clock apart from the behind closed doors, no centre-backs. No centre-back season, yeah. So if we win that game, as long as we don't like screw up massively in between that, it'll be close or it might even be even. Um, so yeah, I think a lot of the season's optimism may be answered like four games after the international break, which is an interesting one. But Ollie, we have gone about an hour now. I think is there anything we want you want to touch on before we wind down? I know our short and sharp podcast has done well, hasn't it? Going going the full hour. It is. Um, no, I think we've covered everything. I think we've gone through the squad nicely. The only shout out I will give to James Milner, um, is something we've discussed yes. recently, um, is that he's given a lot of criticism. It's not his fault. It's just aging. It happens to the best of us. But in his aging, what a fantastic beard he is. He's grown. This is I... what Yorkshire tea and Ribena does for your face. I need to get down to Tesco then and get mm. some over now because what it's just a, it's a magnificent beard, the real sculpture of a man Milner looks now. Um, and if he honestly, grew that when he was at Leeds, he would have been playing for Real Madrid for twenty plus years by now. Do you want to hear something crazy? I thought mm. James Milner has played two hundred and ninety-eight games for Liverpool. That feels crazy. If, if, if Brendan Rodgers stuck around, that would be in the top five. That'd be like five hundred by now. <laughs> We'd probably, be in, we'd probably be in he did, the he relegation scrap. He'd have arranged friendlies just yeah. to... Uh, and you play more games when you're in the Europa League, so you've got to take that into consideration and the as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, the way Leicester are going. Well, that's uh, true. That's true. Do, you, do you want to have a quick look at the rest of the league? I mean, we've mentioned City there, but... Yeah, let's, have, let's, have, let's have a quick shoot one. through. Let's have a quick shoot through and, Chelsea. and do some hot, hot takes. Chelsea. Potter year on earth. Um, lovely guy, terrible culture fit. Can't see it going well, especially with what appears to be just I can't think of a better word than nutcase of an owner. Seems <laughs> to be an absolute crazy bloke. Absolutely admire his commitment to bringing you know, a sensible Barclays back. 
um, yes. to the league. Definitely needed. Um, but yeah, why? I understand why Potter's gone there because it's not easy as an English coach to get a chance at such a big club. But my God, does that look like it could be a disaster? Especially if he starts to, if he doesn't, he doesn't get all the senior players on the side. That could be a toxic environment. The rumour is, and again, talking rumours, the rumour is that a big part of the fallout was that Tuchel didn't want to sign Ronaldo and mm. that Ronaldo's potentially on his way in January. Ronaldo in a Graham Potter system? What? I was going to say that's probably yeah. a worse fit than a Tuchel system. I couldn't think of a worse fit in the league. I think even Pop and Guardiola had managed to do something. That bloke had Danny, literally employed Danny Welbeck to run around. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, it? So, top Graham Potter, the manager, yay, the fit, nay. I'll come back with one at you. Um, are Arsenal back? Kinda. I think top as a back fourteen, but I, yeah, I think not as a not top as a four Yeah. No. No, I think. I think they'll get top four this year. I don't yeah. think they'll maintain the title chart. I think Spurs can maintain the title. I think Spurs are like. A slightly better positioned version of us. I think they're not playing well, so I think they can improve, but I don't think they'll maintain levels of what City will do and what we can do. If Conte stays and doesn't have his yearly fallout and go back to Juventus, which is what I've seen today. Not that he's fallen out of anyone, just that they're looking to potentially get rid of Allegri and he could be back in. Mm. So there's one. I, it wouldn't surprise me if Potter ends up at I thought that would make yeah. a lot of sense. Um, but maybe Pochettino back, could they get Zidane? Who knows? Yeah. A Leicester going down? When, when, um, who's if, the next, oh, here, I'll, I'll give you one. Who's the next manager to be sacked? I mean, the easy answer is Rodgers, but they seemingly can't afford to sack him because, well, it's Wednesday after the international break. Why, why haven't they sacked him? That's the thing. If they're going to sack him, surely now is the opportune time. You've got the international break. They've got a really good run of fixtures coming up because I'm about to put James Madison in the fantasy team. Good man. <sighs> Gerard. <sighs> Didn't they did Come, some, put a couple they of, put a couple of results win. together? They they mm, did just they did win, one, yeah. But, yeah. but they don't look great. They, they look, look awful, great. don't they? The, um, well, Michael Beale left in the summer, didn't he? Um, did he go? Uh, I can't remember. He went back. To, he went to. He managed. He, go, he, he managed QPR, manage doesn't somewhere. Yeah, and, QPR, I think. And it was it was kind of muted that in terms of the way Gerard's team worked. Gerard's very much the motivator, the man manager on the touchline, whereas Beale's much more the tactical, the tactical kind of technical build up play, defensive shape side. And I think you can tell that by watching Villa because they look like a team of really good players that've got no idea what they're meant to be doing or how they're meant to kind of construct any moves. Um, so potentially Gerard, but Hassan Hootel maybe Southampton are quite a, you, you, you know you could see you could wake up one day and he's gone because Southampton yeah. quite rogue. Steve Co- um, Nottingham Forest owner is a bit mad. Steve yeah. Cooper might wouldn't surprise he's me. He's going to want to see a return on that investment. I mean, the thing is, Lampard, the Everton fans love love Lampard. Yeah, I think I thought I thought this... is that is that kind of somewhere Stockholm syndrome? Kind of, the dreadful. I know they beat West Ham, but it was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen. But all they do is try and draw nil nil. It was awful, you can't, and they, they you weren't, can't they weren't that. in that bad a position when they took over last season. His greatest achievement was dragging them into a relegation battle to then get them out to win some of the off the fans. They've spent some more money in the summer and then look awful again this season. Mm. But the fan seems like him. They're not. They probably won't get relegated. So see, West Ham have been poor. I don't they've think they've played, they've, sacked, only, but, yeah. they've only played about two Europa League games so far, so they can't even really use that excuse yet. 
they need to, they, I think Moyes is kind of, he's just stuck to his guns, hasn't he? I think he's found his Sylvan Distan and Phil Jagielka in, in um, Craig Dawson in one player. I think you need to kind of, I know they tried with designing as an air guard or something from Nice or uh, Lens, which one everyone. Yeah, they've got Kara Ka- and Hans Zartillo Kara. Yeah, um, I think they just need to kind of rejuvenate. I think you need to, well, Jared Bowen looks awful. I think that's why yeah. we did. I think that's why people went and said, "Let's spend eighty mil on Jared Boyd." A few people were like, "No, yeah, good thing we uh, didn't do that." Good yeah, but the, uh... I think they just need to roll with with Skamaka, Bowen, yeah. Paquetta. I like Fournals. Fournals, I like Fournals. I think Fournals. I call him the chaos player. Yes, um, you never know like what he's going to do. He might score. He might assist. He might get sent off. He might do an amazing bit of skill. He might do something completely awful. But if you watch him for a whole game, he will do something kind of at either end of the spectrum. But it will be entertaining. Um, so whenever I, you know, if I have a cheeky bet, bet builder or something on Sunday, there's always Pablo Pablo Fornals to score and be cards in there because yes. I just I know he's capable of it. Whether it's ripping his shirt off or just launching into someone, he he embodies what the Premier League is all about, and uh, I greatly respect him for that. Fantastic. I do like Pablo Fonal. Thing is, I do EPL pods with with Tadewa, um, and we did like a season predictions thing. My prediction was Lampard was to get sacked, be the first one to get sacked in the season, and his was Marco Silva. And then we had a, a separate bet that we get a bonus point, whoever got sacked first. And I, Marco Silva may be the most safest manager in the league at the minute. Fulham have been fantastic, haven't they? Absolutely yeah. fantastic. Will the wheels fall off? Make sure it stops scoring. Who knows? But yeah, I mean, they've been they've been pretty impressive, and Mitrovic has been amazing. He really is. But last last word on Liverpool. I mean, we'll, we'll I actually enjoy this. Maybe we'll try and make a I don't know a monthly thing of it or something. I um, like it as well. I think that's a good idea. What What's next for us then? I mean, Brighton. We let Let's go with a quick run through of our teams for Brighton. I mean. Everyone's fit. We'll put an asterisk next to Naby in case he's not alive or he's been Mamadou Sakod. But team, is it just the same for Ajax? Yeah, I think Allison's in goal. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, we haven't got a lot. We've got Trent's got a bit right back. I know I kicked off earlier and said we need to try and find a way to bench him, but Trent's got a bit right back. Um, I think Gomez, unfortunately, hasn't taken his chance in the team. Mm. Um Again, like yeah, there's caveats that and players around him, but I think Matip needs to come back in because he's done well when he has done. And the thing is, you know, Gomez has benefited before from other defenders being injured or out of form and coming in and getting his chance. Other defenders have benefited from him being injured and coming in and getting their chance. Him and Matip are very often swapped around. They even more from back in the day. He knows what the score is in terms of partner alongside Van Dyke. You've got to be patient, but because we are quite injury prone as a defence, you will get your chance. But if you get your chance, you've got to take it. And I just don't think he has. So I think Matip's got to come back in. Van Dyke, take your pick at left back. It'll be it will be Robertson. But I'd be fine with Simicast. Yeah. I think he's looked just as good, if not better. Um, and then yeah, gone over the midfield loads. So uh, Fabinho, Trent, uh, Fabinho, Trent, Cater. No, that's not down. <laughs> Fabinho, um, Thiago, Harvey Elliott. And then I think for Brighton, I would actually go um, Salah, Diaz, Shotter, and then I'd give Nunes the run against Rangers a few days later. And then yeah, maybe then you can, a, you can a winner, like winner takes all for yeah. Arsenal at the weekend. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like you know, Jota's decent on the wing as well. You know, you might want to rotate rest Salah with the against Rangers as well. 
yeah, absolutely. I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that team. I'd agree with that team. Let it roll. But we will finish up there because I almost finished us in a timely manner, but then I fancy chatting about the Premier League. <laughs> um, but we will finish up there. Thank you, Ollie. And if you do enjoy this, let me know either on Twitter or Discord. You know all the crack by now. We'll be targeting on there. But if you want to keep this semi-regularly, um, we will. Because we got Albie. Well, let's finish. Favourite Albie haircut. Favourite Albie haircut. Oh, it's the one he's this like, spiky one when coincides with one of my favourite Albi moments when he's uh, doing his I'm a lamberjack, I'm a lamberjack <laughs> which is a nice one to finish on because I've said it and you've probably seen on, on Twitter the Chris Kamara interview that came out with Stephen Bart this week um, which yes. was obviously a really touching one and uh, it's uh, hopefully you know Tammy uh, who's an absolute legend of the media game has uh, seen the outpouring that he's received on Twitter and uh, yeah, just typical. You know, we'll find a way to touch that, link that lovely sentiment to a bit of Alberto Moreno just to finish off. Yeah, mine was the top knot, but he wasn't really playing then, so sad times. Still though, still uh, still cool. He's a cool exactly. man who does cool things. Exactly, exactly. But as I said, if you want this uh, to be somewhat regular, let us know. But thank you, Ollie. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index. And find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.